Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Today's guest is one of my sweet friends, Beth Bowen. Beth is a sober coach that helps sober, curious, and alcohol-free women reclaim their power and build kick-ass lives without booze. What I love about Beth, oh man, where do I start? It's her passion and her drive. She is helping so many people find freedom and best of all, joy. Here's our chat. Well, hello, everybody. Today, I have a wonderful guest, Beth, and I am so excited for you to meet her. Beth, how are you doing today? I am doing good, my friend. How are you? I'm so good. So for those of you that don't know Beth, you are in for a treat. And fun thing about Beth and I, I feel like our paths are constantly crossing in this beautiful community. So it's so Mm. fun to reconnect with you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've been connected since kind of the very beginning. I know. And we did an Instagram live, which was awesome. And I just feel like we're constantly, I don't know, just interacting through so uh, social media, which makes it so fun. I feel mm. like I know you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, for everybody that's listening, Beth, can you take a few minutes just to tell everybody about yourself? You know, the basics, uh, who you are, kids, where you live, what you do for fun, what your job is, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like, do you want the cliff notes or do you want the, <laughs> all, <laughs> the, the, above. <laughs> the, the all the above? Okay. The basics are, uh, my name is Beth Bowen. I live outside of Austin with my family of four. We have two little boys. So I know, you know, the crazy kid life, they're three and six. So we are like in it still, yes. <laughs> but in all of the good ways too, with the bad. Um, so I, uh, I guess, uh, you know, my hobbies are this, <laughs> I, right. I, most of what I do and what I love to do is this or adjacent to this. So the things that really build up my alcohol free life and, you know, like yoga and meditation, things like that. But I actually work in the sober space now. So I have a background in clinical therapy and mixed with my four years of, of living alcohol free has really found me a path forward that feels really, really good and and kind of marries all of my experiences into one. So I work with alcohol-free and sober curious women who are looking to either change their relationship with alcohol or really root into all of the the good, as you would say, that comes after we've already removed it and have all of this empty space. So I, you know, this is kind of my life when I, when you ask me what my hobbies are, I'm like, Hmm, what's my hobbies? Well, I like doing <laughs> these kind of things. <laughs> like oh, I, I like it. connecting. Um, but you know, I think really like the root of it is storytelling and the root of it is connecting for me. Oh, I love that. I love that. And it makes me so happy just seeing everything that you're doing, which we will totally touch on. <laughs> um, and fellow boy mom. Yes. I have two yes. boys too. So we know it. Yep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. So many di- dinosaurs. So many, um, I like was reflecting the other day, I'm like I wiped so many butts. 
Stunly yeah. buttons, how is that why? But yeah, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole nother episode, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, well, if it's okay with you, I'd love for you to dive into kind of your history of with alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, your story. Yeah. When did you start? When did your relationship kind of start to shift and mm. kind of go from there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I, I think stories are so powerful. And when we can see ourselves in somebody else's story, it changes everything for us. And that's what happened for me. So, you know, I had a fairly typical trajectory with alcohol, I would say. I was actually a really good kid in high school. I was in band. I was in all AP classes. I didn't drink and my circle didn't, it wasn't even on our radar. So I didn't really drink until I went to college and I kind of did the typical college thing. I, I, you know, went to house parties. We felt really fancy going, you know, out to the bars and stuff. And it wasn't until I, I mean, of course, looking back when I see it, I'm like, God, that's so crazy. These like young brains are drinking so much alcohol, but it was, it was very typical. It's very exactly what you see in college. And then in grad school, I was living by myself for the first time. And I had this newfound sense of maturity and freedom and no accountability. And, and I very vividly remember the first time I ever felt like, oh, wait, this, this is interesting was during the 2012 election. Cause I, I, remember, I can picture it. I was watching <laughs> the debate, the, the VP debate, not even the presidential debate, the VP debate on my little tiny TV and my little tiny 600 square foot apartment in Austin and drinking a bottle of wine. And it was the first time I had started to get to a point where I was finishing a bottle. It was start. It was the first time where I would be out and I'd just like walk next door to the gas station and grab more. Or I would say, I wasn't going to pick any up at the grocery store. And then I just hop over there and get some. And like, they knew me there. They knew me. And that was the first time I had this thought of, this is interesting, but I didn't do anything about it. Of Mm -hmm. course, it it felt very sophisticated. It felt very grown up. It felt, you know, it was in a very high stress experience going through grad school and it was my way to unwind and it wasn't all the time. And it was just, it felt socially normalized. Like it it felt when I say it felt normal, it wasn't normal, but it was, I was socialized to believe that it was normal. Right. And then when I had kids is, is really when everything changed. So my son, Will, he's six now, and I was pretty young when I had him. I was 25, I think. And I was the first of all my friends to have kids. And my husband was really in like the, the, big beginning stages of his career. So he was working really long hours and we lived in Austin and we didn't have any family here. And I was staying at home. I thought that was always my dream was to be a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. And Will had colic and all of the things and he was a hard baby. And I had undiagnosed postpartum depression. So I I can see it now looking back, especially as a clinician, I can see it. I I had all the symptoms of it, but when I was in it, I couldn't see it at all. Mm -hmm. And what came from that kind of perfect storm of things, of, of situations was that I became very reliant on alcohol at the end of the day to take the edge off. So I had rules. I I never opened a bottle before 5 p.m. I never drank like actively caring for my child. I had a lot of 
boundaries on it. So, mm-hmm. so in some sense it felt controlled and it felt okay. But at the same time, I was always just white knuckling it until five o'clock. Yeah. I was gritting my teeth. I was not enjoying motherhood at all. I was sleep deprived. I really was struggling mentally, physically, and emotionally. And the only thing I looked forward to, the only thing that was getting me through those days was waiting until five o'clock when I could crack open a bottle of wine while I was cooking dinner mm-hmm. and unwind from the day. And at that point in time, I was, I, I, you know, it started as one glass became two, became four, became three times a week to, to really, truly every single night. And always a bottle of wine, sometimes more if it was around. Mm -hmm. And it was this really interesting cycle of drinking all of this alcohol and then staying up late because I was still drinking. I wanted to stay up late. It was my me time. It was my only Mm -hmm. time for myself. Going to bed really late, getting crappy sleep, waking up at five o'clock in the morning because the baby was up. And just this really vicious cycle of being physically unwell worsening it with alcohol, but not having any other tools to cope with the stressors that I was experiencing right. and being really unsupported. And, and, and I say unsupported in a way, like that's not to blame anyone. It's just that mothers are perpetually unsupported and undersupported. Right. And yeah. So, I mean, it got to a point where I was drinking really heavily, really regularly and was certainly psychologically dependent on it. If I was not physically dependent on it. And it really began to damage my mental health and my Mm self-talk. So I did that for about two years. Will was two when I quit drinking and it really became this spiral down into a very quiet rock bottom. It was never, I didn't get a DUI. I didn't, nobody ever told me I needed to quit drinking. It was very quiet. I was always on my couch. I was always at home. So outwardly it wasn't obvious and internally I was I I had so much self-loathing and I had so much was physically unwell I was emotionally unwell and I very vividly remember it was midnight one night and I had this habit of staying up past my husband when he would he would go to bed and I'd stay up still drinking watching Netflix or something Mm -hmm. and it was midnight and I looked at the clock on my wall and I was probably a bottle of wine deep. And I just thought to myself, God, I hate you so much. Myself. I hate mm-hmm. myself. And that was, you know, when we talk about this idea of like, you don't have to have a rock bottom to, to change your relationship with alcohol. For a long time, I said, I didn't have a rock bottom for a long time. When people would ask me like, what, you know, what led you to, I'm like, oh, I didn't really have a rock bottom, but that truly was my rock bottom. This deep, deep self-loathing that I had this inability to see any redeeming quality in myself, this inability to like, care for myself in any sort of way. And just this deep spiral I was in was truly my rock bottom. So I would love to say that that was like it. And then I quit drinking <laughs> and everything was rosy and glorious from then of on course. out. Yeah, of course. But it was a non-linear journey as they usually yeah. are. And it was months and months and months of sober curiosity and reading all the books and listening to all the podcasts and getting all of the information while still drinking a bottle of wine every night. And, you know, both my lived experience and the, what I see play out with the people I work with really 
roots me into this clinical idea of the stages of change that mm. are required for us to go through in order to create sustainable change in our life. And I lived that. I was sober curious. I was reading all the information while still drinking for a long time. Yeah. And then I was on day one for a long time. And then I was on getting a week under my belt for a long time and really building the skills and the tools and the resilience along with the physical, mental, emotional wellness that was required to create a foundation for me to remain alcohol free. Hmm. So my sober date is September 29th, 2017. So I consider myself a little over four years sober, yeah. alcohol free, sober, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. I, you know, I never really saw myself in the 12 steps. I never saw myself in a lot of recovery models, which I, we could talk about that forever, but it mm-hmm. was really a barrier, a barrier to change for myself. So it kept me drinking longer than I would have liked because I didn't identify as alcoholic. I didn't see myself, but right. now I consider myself alcohol free or sober. Those are kind of my, my yeah. descriptors. Oh, Beth. so that's, that's the cliff notes. <laughs> so good. I know I'm kicking myself because each interview I've had, I'm like, I need to be taking notes. Like I know that would be <laughs> free, like really annoying to hear that pen probably hitting the paper every few seconds, but there's so much good stuff that you just yeah. mentioned, you know, and one that really stood out to me was and I don't know, I don't remember knowing this about you, but how you had the rules kind of from the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, and I think mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I feel like most people that I've heard tell their story, the rules kind of come later. Like it was mm. interesting that, you know, you from the get go were like, no, 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 not till five. And mm-hmm. this is how it's going to go. And, um, we're kind of taking a responsible quote unquote, you know, take on it. But that's really interesting because the rules for me didn't come till later. It was like, oh, well start with white, then we'll go to red because white is, it's okay in the afternoon. Right. Right. Um, Oh, so much good stuff. And I also love that you mentioned, you know, multiple times how it just, it didn't feel like you were doing anything wrong, you know, because society, we don't talk about the hard things, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think maybe you mentioned you were the first one in kind of your friend group to have kids too, right? Mm-hmm. So there probably was yeah. that lack of talking to people too. Like they don't right. know what I'm yeah. going through, you know? I lived a, a fairly singular experience for a long time. I didn't have any mother peers. I didn't have any mom friends. And, but, but at the same time, you know what, talking about this socialization, I, I got into mommy wine culture hook line and sinker. Mm-hmm. I have been blogging since 2013, like long before it was ever cool. So I've, I've lived on the internet, <laughs> <laughs> if you will, for a very long time. I've had internet friends for a very long time. Yeah. And one thing that I fell into, and I, I really latched onto as I was seeking community and as I was seeking connection with other mothers, and as I was seeking connection with people who understood what I was going through was this mommy wine culture, Mm -hmm. these communities, these Facebook groups, these memes, these, you know, connecting and DMs with other moms and the overall pervasiveness of how much wine and how much alcohol is currently being socialized as our experience of motherhood. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I really remember it was Christmas of when we date this, it must've been 2016 because it was before I quit drinking and I bought every single gift I got was some sort of wine paraphernalia. It was either wine or it was a wine glass or it was, and it was all like mommy loves wine or, you know, when they wine, I wine, all of the things, yeah. everything I got was wine paraphernalia. And I had really 
interlocked my identity as the wine mom. And, and so not only when I quit drinking, did I lose alcohol? And, and I went through a substantial period of mourning with that. But I also really came out on the other side having no clue who I was. I didn't sure. have any sort of identity because I had really wrapped it up so much into this, this cultural phenomenon that we are currently, you know, I say you and I are battling this, but <laughs> yeah. it's very, very pervasive for so many people still. And so I think that that's a really important piece to this. And especially as we consider like alcohol and motherhood and what mothers are currently being told coupled with this idea that moms are really under supported and don't have the care and the backup that they need to be physically, emotionally, and mentally well. Um, you know, it creates this really perfect storm that I know so many women find themselves in. Yeah. Oh, so, so true. I couldn't agree more. Okay. Well, we know, we know your story, but, um, mm. I don't know if we really got into how exactly you removed it. Like what mm. tools really helped you become yeah. alcohol free? Do you mind sharing some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So I was, let's see, I first found this sober community, this, this space, this kind of alternative or parallel experience with the more traditional forms of recovery through Holly Whitaker's blog. So Holly Whitaker, for those who don't know, is the creator of Tempest, uh, Quit Like a Woman is her book now. Back then it was 2017, 2016, it was the wild west of the internet and Holly had a blog called Hip Sobriety. And I found Hip Sobriety after Googling yoga to quit drinking because my thought was, I didn't practice yoga at the time, but my thought was, <laughs> man, those yoga people like have their shit together. So maybe they can fix me. Right? That, was, that was my thought process. It's really funny, the, the paths that we go through. And I could just hire was, a yogi, you know, yeah, come live with me. Yeah, maybe I'll just be Zen. And then I'll like suddenly not want to drink a bottle and a half of wine every night. That's how that works. Right. Totally. Totally. So that began the sober curiosity. That was really my introduction to this space of living without alcohol in a way that feels really good and really expansive and isn't defined by labels and doesn't have to look one certain way. And it's really ironic because in my, my teaching program, in my master's program, where I was in my social work school, we were taught the 12 steps. Like that's, that's all that they were at least in 2013, when I got my master's really teaching clinicians is mm. if somebody has trouble with substance, you refer them to the 12 steps and there's like this whole thing. And so it's really interesting that even though I have this clinical knowledge and this, this other side of it, I didn't even know this world existed. I didn't know that I could do this in, on my own terms. I didn't know that I could be a person who doesn't drink alcohol and right. not have to call myself something. So that kind of began my sober curiosity. And then I did go through hip sobriety, Harley's former program before it was Tempest. It's an eight week online program. And I think the most critical piece that made everything click for me is the neuroscience. I really geek, geek out over the mechanisms that work in our minds and our bodies when we are consuming alcohol, when we are not consuming alcohol, mm. how we can support this, how we can use this information to change our experience in real time. And for me, it all made sense when I realized, when I learned about dopamine and when I learned about my central nervous system, mm -hmm. and I learned about all of these interlocking parts that 
made it make sense that of course at five o'clock I was fried. Of course at five o'clock I needed something to soothe my nervous system. Of course I needed something to to give me dopamine because my neurochemistry was off. So that I think gave me the foundation that gave me the knowledge to know that then when I implement tools, then when I actually go to the yoga class or eat, you know, eat the good food or get right. sleep or whatever it is that we we know supports our choice to be alcohol free. I knew why I was doing it. I knew why it mattered and I knew how it was actively rewiring my brain so that not only could I remove this substance, but I wouldn't need it. I wouldn't crave it. I wouldn't have this desire to always get outside myself through this substance. So for me, it really was the neuroscience and the learning and the the theory. And I think that's how my brain's wired. I'm I'm a theory nerd. So that really (laughs) helps me organize experiences and make sense of it. And like, truly it's, it's cliche. And the other part of it is like mindfulness, body movements, like all of the, all of the pieces that I am now in my teacher training. So the the irony (laughs) of the full circle moment, I'm getting my yoga teacher certification. And, and so it's just this kind of like full circle thing. And it's, you know, sometimes I'm like, God, it's so cliche to say like, go do yoga and it'll fix you. But (laughs) it really, it really did for me. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Well, and I think everything that you were just saying, it's like, you can't unknow the things that you Mm -hmm. learn too. Once you learn all of those things, I mean, you can't pour that glass of wine and be like, oh, this will be different. Like it won't affect me. Like I know it will, you know, like I'm sure it was one of those situations where it was like, no, I know better now. (laughs) Like, I don't right. want to go through that vicious cycle. So, well, and you know, I think that an important, important caveat, let me, let me also caveat that because that made me think of something is we can still know the things we know, and we can still always have this information and the knowing and the doing are two totally different beasts. So the other part, the part that I missed in, in telling you what, what was the, the catalyst for me really was community really was finding other people who looked like me, who had similar lived experiences to me, who didn't fit in the same boxes that I didn't fit into. And realizing I wasn't the only mom who was doing this. I wasn't the only woman who was was doing this. I wasn't the only person with a master's degree who was doing this. And the shame that that helped me release and the, the connection, the community that that created for me mixed with the knowledge because mm-hmm. I, in, in, in reality, I had a lot of the knowledge for a long time. I, I'm sure. trained in these things, this, this clinical information, but the community was what made it all make sense and gave me the capacity and the support I needed to actually make the change. Great point. Kind of that mm-hmm. mus- missing puzzle piece almost, yes. you know? Yeah. And so I'm not familiar with that program. And I know it was Mm. a little while ago. Did they have a community piece with that? Were you able to communicate with others? Oh, awesome. Yeah. I don't even like it truly. I don't know what the iteration of it looks like these days. Uh, But back then it was like, there was a Facebook group and group calls and things like that. So that's when I, I, you know, and, and the beauty of it is in 2017, there wasn't a lot out there. There wasn't a lot of resources. There weren't a lot of programs. There weren't a lot of groups. And now there are so many, and there's so many beautiful support groups and containers and coaches and podcasts and books where you can find the one that jives with you. And you can mm-hmm. find the one where you really see yourself and where you really feel connected and in community. Mm-hmm. And they all have a different flavor and they all have a different take on things. And so now, I mean, it's just wild to think about how resource rich we truly are. You have to find it. You have to find the sober community, Absolutely. but once you're here, we are rich with resources. 
Oh, that is so good. And I think it's something that we kind of, I need to always tell myself to pause and look around because mm. it is beautiful, you know? And I yeah. think there's no, there's no right program or wrong right. program. Like there's just the one that works for you. There's the tools exactly. that work for you. There's no mm. list that says, oh, you mm. haven't been doing this, this, or this. <laughs> like, no, no, your toolbox yeah. is your toolbox. So just like you said, find the one that works for you and speaks yeah. to you. So yeah. And I think that that's yeah. like the, a beautiful rule. Like there is, there is no rule. There's, there's no rules. There's no playbook. And there's no one right way to do this. It's the way that works for you is the right way. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So not that I don't love the first half of the podcast, <laughs> but this is always my big shift. And one of my favorite parts is where we really kind of turn it and focus on all the good. So yeah. I would love for you to start by just saying, or maybe listing off Big or small, what were some of the benefits that you immediately started seeing or down mm. the road? You know, what what really kept you showing up and what were you noticing that was going really good in your life when you removed yeah. alcohol? You know, that's an interesting question because I would say I did not feel or experience any immediate benefits. It and that truly was one of the things that kept me returning to alcohol use. I'm like, what's the point? If this feels right. as crappy as this does. But like I said, once I learned the neuroscience and I knew what was going on, I was like, okay, I can stick this out until I start feeling the benefits. So funny enough, the, the very first thing, one of the things that kept me sober, got me sober and kept me sober was cross stitch. I got like mm. deep into cross stitch and like, there's a whole corner of the internet. There's like cross stitch culture. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's funny. <laughs> but I got deep into cross stitch because it kept my hands busy and oh, I, I had it. to be aware because it's really fine detail. But, you know, what I really started experiencing as I was getting this distance from alcohol was that my mental health really improved. And, you know, I mentioned that I most certainly had undiagnosed postpartum depression and I, it was never treated because my son was two by the time I, I quit mm -hmm. drinking. But since then, I have really been able to establish my baseline of mental health and understand that I have clinical depression and I have generalized anxiety disorder, and those are really well cared for now. Mm -hmm. So one of the first changes, though, that I did notice was a return to what felt like baseline, this, this experience of more kindness to myself and less self-loathing and more balanced neurochemicals and, and all of all of the parts that are moving around in my brain. But you know, a lot of people I hear say, like, you know, I got sober for my kids, or I stay sober for my kids, or I stay sober for somebody else. And and for me, truly, I do it for me. Mm -hmm. And I do it for the love of myself and and how good I feel now and, and how by proxy that ripples out to my kids and my family right. and all of the people that I work with. But so I think my mental health was probably the first thing I saw change. And the first thing that really rooted me into, okay, this, this is worth it. This is worth sticking with. And, you know, also just the physical health. I, I had started to worry about what I was doing to my body at, mm -hmm. at the end of my drinking. And I remember you know, I had gained a lot of weight. I was really, really uncomfortable in my physical body. I was starting to have like some hand numbness and things like that. And I, who knows if it was related, but I really worried about my physical health and, you know, I wanted to live a long time for my kids. Yeah. 
And I just returned to more of a baseline. I can't say like I magically felt better overnight, but it was much more of a return to baseline. And I mean, now my, my whole life is built around this and all the goodness yeah. that it has created. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you for being so honest because I am mm. so glad that you answered that way and shared your truth because I think a lot of people that start their journey don't feel great. And they're like, mm. okay, I know I'm doing the right thing, but when does it get better? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I think it comes in waves. And I think a lot of us that have been at it longer can mm -hmm. agree that, I mean, it's never easy. It's constantly mm -hmm. a job. It constantly mm -hmm. takes work, but um, it gets easier. It changes. Mm. And um, I think that it's great that you pointed that out because like I said, I don't want to repeat exactly what I just said, but a lot of people do start out a little rocky yeah. and they're like, yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for that pink cloud or that yeah. bright moment. Like, where is yeah. it? <laughs> so. And I never had it. I never had a pink cloud. Mm. Even, even later on, I had fatigue. I had pause. I had post-acute withdrawal syndrome for mm. sure, which is fatigue, headaches, like lethargy, inability to feel pleasure. I had it all. So mm. I, I never experienced pink cloud. And I think that that's a it's not a misnomer. That's not the right word, but it's a misconception that folks have when they quit drinking that you're going to sure. have this for sure. And a lot of people do, because of course, when you're not pouring rocket fuel in your body, you're going to feel better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but for some of us, we don't. And knowing that we're doing the right thing, we're doing the best aligned thing for ourselves, mm -hmm. regardless, and we will eventually reap the benefits. I think it's really important because otherwise we're at risk for drinking again. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Next question is, tell me what is most important in your life at the moment? Mm. Oh my goodness. That's I know important. you can have multiple things. You don't have to <laughs> okay. hone in on just yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. You know, of, of course my family, like that's the default answer. That's the, of, of course. And if nothing else than that, uh, my boys are crazy and are rambunctious and Will is six now and, and he's my sweet quiet responsible one and it's so interesting to think like this little boy and I grew up together in many ways but I think the most important thing in my life now is the work I do to stay well and good for my own sake because of the ripple effect that that has in my life, because of the way that allows me to show up in mothering, because of the way that allows me to be a partner to my husband that I most certainly was not when I was drinking, because of the way that allows me to live in the world and tell my story and have this ripple effect on other people, none of that would be possible if I was not well myself, if I was not actively maintaining that through good sleep through my morning routine, through the things that fill me up, through the things that make me feel really good in my physical and emotional body. So I think the answer is, is that without that, none of the rest would come. None of the, my job wouldn't come. My, my family wouldn't come. My ability to, we're building a house right now. Like that never would have happened if I wasn't <laughs> well in my spirit first. So for me, it's that. Oh. Great answer. And you're right. It just, it spills over. It spills over into every area. So mm. I love that answer. Thank you. Um, okay. Let's see what I've got next for you. I want to talk about all the exciting things that are happening 
Mm. Um, in, not only just in your life, but that you are sharing with others. Do you mind mm. sharing kind of some of the projects that you can talk yeah. about and ways that you're helping people? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I love working with women specifically. That's, that's where my heart is. And that's where I see such a, an absolute need. So I specifically work with women in my coaching and both in one-on-one settings and in group settings. And, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about community and, and about connection in here. And much of my work is rooted in a clinical theory called the relational cultural theory that tells us that we heal better when we heal together. So when we heal in community, when we heal in connection with other people who understand our lived experiences, that accelerates our healing. That is something that like up levels our experience of, of moving through this. So I really love rooting into group programs. I've got two different programs, one for women who are in the more active stages of removing alcohol, and then one for women who have already removed alcohol from their life called Powerful AF. We're actually opening doors to that right now. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, it's all of these programs are really rooted in this idea of our mind, our body, and our spirit, and how we need this whole person approach to removing alcohol and staying alcohol free, because if we don't have that foundation, if we don't have that base, then we're just removing the substance. We are living this hollow experience that is just not drinking. We're just abstaining from alcohol and we're not building anything else to support it. We're not building that piece that I said is is the most important piece in my life that helps me stay alcohol free, helps me show up for my people. So all of my programs are rooted in that. But I'm really excited, and this is like a little spoiler alert, but I have a project coming up called Sober Stories. It's launching in March, and it is a multimedia platform, blog, YouTube, video, podcast, eventually many more things, hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, that is rooted in just telling really good stories. So when we see ourselves in other stories and and when we share our own stories and we see diverse stories and we see stories of people just doing it differently, I believe that that is really a catalyst to changing our own experience, to really seeing a new door that we can walk through and taking that first step. So Silver Stories is in the works. It's all kind of BTS behind the scenes right now, but I hope to bring that to the world in March and really just be a a tangible resource for people to get really, really good storytelling. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. And I'm honored that you shared about it. I Mm. hope I didn't um, pressure you. No, no, I'm excited. I'm like (laughs) trying hard not to shout it from the rooftops. So like, this is great for me to be able to. Isn't that the hardest part? I know. I know. Well, I was looking at your Instagram page and I think it says founder of at we are sober stories. And I was like, what is this? How do I not know about this? (laughs) I know. I like put little Easter eggs here and there because I like am still building out all of the the behind the scenes stuff. I'm like building the website and all of this. It's, it's, you know, you know, everything that goes into it. So I'm so excited about it. So I just keep putting little Easter eggs here and there. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting. And you're right. It's so hard to keep it on the hush hush when you're really excited mm-hmm. about it, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, I yep. want to tell everybody, but it's not ready. <laughs> so not ready. It's not there yet. I but it'll be here soon. It. Oh, so looking forward to it. Um, all right. Last but not least, I think I love to, um, to end these shows with just some advice for listeners. Um, mm. we heard your story. We heard how you, um, you know, how you got help, how you helped yourself, how you removed it. Um, what you're doing now, 
Now, what is kind of the last little nugget or advice or just something that you can tell listeners to give them hope or inspiration that there is good on the other side? Mm. You know, I think the first thing that made me think of is that there's nothing new under the sun. And what can feel like a really singular experience, what can feel like an experience that no one understands and we're impossibly alone. And and there's all this shame around this experience that certainly nobody can understand. The truth is, is that there's nothing new under the sun again. (laughs) And this idea that your story is somebody else's story and the magic that comes from connecting with somebody else and being seen and the magic of connecting with somebody else and them saying, oh my God, me too, is so powerful. And even if you're not at a space where you can take that step, you can, you can make that connection. You can reach out to somebody or have somebody reach out to you or whatever that looks like. Just the knowing of you're not alone. And though this feels incredibly singular, this feels incredibly lonely, there are probably at least a hundred people, maybe like a million people out there who have a story just like yours Mm -hmm. and are somewhere along that path of healing and somewhere along that path of returning to themselves where you will also soon be. It's, 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 and when I say there's nothing new under the sun, I want it to be like amazing, like freeing, like, it's just not, this is not just you. You're in Mm -hmm. this experience that feels so lonely and there's so many other people who know exactly what you're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so true. I think when you're in it, you do, you feel mm-hmm. so lonely. You feel like mm-hmm. you're the only one with this thing. Yep. And it's just not true. It's just not true. It's just not true. Well, Beth, I adore you. I am so honored and thankful that you were able to take the time to be on the show. Um, one thing I forgot to mention on here, I absolutely love your emails. I am signed up on your mm. newsletter and I know, I mean, such good content, information, tips, all the beautiful things. But one of my favorite things, I'm going to sound like such a dork, is your last <laughs> is your last line. It's mm. just the rooting for you always. It just, it's beautiful. And I thank you for being such an amazing leader and an inspiring friend. And I'm excited for everything that's ahead. Mm, Thank you, my friend. It is an honor to know you and do this together. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.